Morning, friends. Great to see you today. Let me invite you to open your copy of God's Word to um, Mark chapter 7. We'll conclude our chapter this morning, Lord willing, and uh, get to one of the main climaxes of the book in chapter 8. So, uh, Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 31. Hear the word of the Lord. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on them, on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them, to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is God's inerrant and authoritative word. May he bless what we've read. And let's ask for his help now as we look into these verses further. Father, you have promised to give us help, and we ask for that now. We ask for your Holy Spirit to do the very thing that we see before us. Open our ears, Lord. Open our eyes to see. Even though those of us who have put our faith in Christ present in the room need this again and again. Uh, let us not take this miracle for granted. What an absurd idea. Lord, let us see your power displayed through these verses. Uh, Father, uh, make us like the people uh, who saw. May we be amazed beyond measure. Jesus, your spirit must do this in us. I can't work it up in the people in front of me. You must do it. Please, spirit, be among us and help us see. Quicken me, Lord Jesus, in my, uh, my voice, uh, my thoughts, help them to be clear and preach clearly today. Jesus, we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Well, some of my favorite videos on YouTube have to be the videos where uh, a, deaf a deaf people uh, or those hard of hearing hear for the very first time because of a cochlear implant. Uh, they're just fun to watch because of their facial expressions you see. And uh, uh, you, you see kids hearing their parents' voices for the first time. Uh, teenagers finally being able to hear. Uh, and little babies and small children even. Uh, wives hearing their husbands finally say, I love you. Uh, out loud and not in sign language. They're, they're great fun uh, just to watch the reactions. It's really a, a modern miracle as they refer to it. Uh, 
Well, Mark describes a scenario that's very similar in our passage today. And boy, wouldn't we love it if, there, if that was on YouTube uh, to see Jesus uh, heal this man before us. Uh, he could probably hear at some point in the past, uh, early in his life, but now as we have just read, he's completely deaf and has a significant speech impediment. But his hearing today is restored by Jesus. And as we talk about hearing and speaking this morning, um, I don't want you to think only of physical hearing or physical speaking. Uh, it'll become clear in the next chapter that Mark, when we see these things, he also wants to, us to think about spiritual hearing and spiritual speaking, and even later on, spiritual sight. Uh, right now, the disciples aren't very good at hearing spiritual things or speaking spiritual things. They're, they're not very good at either one of those. Since the end of chapter 6, when we saw Jesus walk on the water, uh, Mark's been showing us that the 12 were pretty slow to pick up on things, pretty thick-headed when it came down to it. And, and sometimes their understanding of truth is not, not much better than those outside the kingdom. In chapter 8, we'll hear Jesus ask the 12, Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And that's the hearing as far as the speaking goes. After they see the empty tomb of Jesus, Mark records, And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So what the disciples needed... And what you and I need is the ability to hear and speak. The ability to hear and understand truth and the ability to, <coughs> excuse me, share spiritual truth. Where does that ability come from? <clears throat> Where do we get the ability to hear and speak? And we'll find out this morning as we work our way through the three segments of our passage, three segments before us that I want to take you through this morning. In the first segment, uh, we're introduced to the man uh, in the region of Decapolis, excuse me, <coughs> a deaf man who, who speaks with difficulty is brought to Jesus. Let me point out two things to you here, and the first is where this man lives. Uh, God's word tells us that he lived in a region called the Decapolis. And if you're familiar with Greek, that means 10 cities. It's not a state like you and I would think. There's not a clear border. There's not a welcome station. Welcome to the Decapolis. Pull off and fill up your camel, etc. You know, um, they're, they're, they were 10 cities uh, that were organized. Uh, and they called the whole region. There weren't clear boundaries. They're in this general area. Verse 31 describes it. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. <coughs> um, Jesus and the twelve have traveled a significant distance from where we saw them last Sunday. I realize this is small. 
and those of you further back have the benefit of just turning around and looking at the map on the back wall. Uh, but you can find a map probably like this in your Bible, and really it needs to be this small so I can show you the whole area they're traveling. <coughs> so last Sunday they were here in Tyre, where they healed, uh, where Jesus cast the demon out of the, the woman's daughter, the woman who came for be to beg for crumbs from the table. And Mark tells us uh, that they depart from this region first by going north to Sidon, up here in the black spot, uh, permanent eclipse in Sidon, obviously, uh, um, just to the north here, and then they make their way, taking what I would consider the scenic, scenic route, uh, all the way over here and down into this region down here. This is where the Decapolis is <coughs> on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is exactly what verse 31 tells us. They return, but boy, they return by a very circuitous route back to the Sea of Galilee. What I want you to note, and what you need to take note of, uh, of this little travel log I'm showing you, is that this entire trip is made in Gentile territory non-Jewish territory. That's not to say there were no Jews there. Uh, there were, no doubt, Jews who lived in those regions. It's just that there were not very many. It was primarily non-Jewish. Uh, and this is, of course, interest uh, of interest for you and me, who are primarily not Jewish, uh, gathered this morning. Um, some Bible scholars uh, suggests that this time that Jesus spent in Gentile regions uh, took up to eight months and a three-and-a-half-year ministry. That's almost one-third of his total ministry. So why, why is this important, this Gentile region, and spending so much time there? It reveals to us, because from, it reveals to us that from the very beginning, God's intention was to save both Jews and Gentiles. Friend, that was God's intention in the Old Testament. Uh, consider uh, the promise to Abraham that I uh, referred to last Sunday morning. This is God's promise to Abraham in, in uh, Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This resonates uh, throughout the Old Testament. In, in the Psalms we read, let the nations be glad. There is a continual um, uh, implication that the Gentiles uh, should be included, uh, that they will be reached through the nation of Israel. You remember that uh, Jonah was sent to um, uh, uh, Samaria, uh, Nineveh rather, excuse me, uh, to Nineveh, which was a Gentile uh, city as well. So to begin with, Mark starts us off telling us where the man lived. <coughs> I beg your pardon. All right, so the second thing that we see here is, is Mark goes on for us to describe the man's disabilities. Uh, verse 32 will um, mention these. 
And they brought to him uh, a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. Uh, the word says here he had a speech impediment. A uh, little uh, couple verses down, uh, when Jesus heals him, Mark says that he spoke plainly. So uh, we conclude that this speech impediment here in verse 32 probably means that his speech was unintelligible. If he speaks clearly later, he's not speaking clearly now. His words most likely garbled, indistinct. He could not be understood. And I want you to pause for just a moment and consider what this state would have been like in the ancient world. Uh, Pastor Ken Hughes tries to, attempts to describe it. He says, the handicap was indeed terrible, especially in ancient times. The idea of losing our hearing does not seem nearly as debilitating as losing our vision. But medical authorities and the deaf themselves tell us otherwise. Terrible as blindness is, the blind do not suffer the social pain and stigma experienced by the deaf. The gawking, impatient stares of those who are not aware of one's condition. There's also the humiliation of being thought stupid because one cannot understand or speak. And hence, that's why they were often called dumb, deaf and dumb. Uh, in this case, the poor man could not ask questions could not hear explanations, and undoubtedly could not read. Even the truth of the scriptures was hidden from him. His situation, to say the least, was miserable and hopeless. And in light of this, consider how important the role of they is in this verse. Those who brought him to Jesus... If it weren't for this group of friends or, or perhaps family, he would have never heard about Christ. He still hasn't heard about Christ. Uh, he would have never known that such a person even existed. He, he can't hear the village gossip. He can't hear what's going on. They not only bring the man to Jesus, they beg him. They plead with him. They implore him. Heal their disabled friend. So secondly, we see the amazing disabilities that this man has at a profound disadvantage, uh, leaving him pretty much in misery at this time in the world. So to begin with, Mark introduces us to the man uh, in question in these verses. He lived in the region of De uh, Decapolis, could not hear, could not speak clearly. Well, moving on, the next thing, the next segment we get to is the miracle uh, that Jesus performs. And as we watch this miracle unfold, we'll see that there are five characteristics of Christ's miracle. First, it was private. Uh, Christ's miracle was performed away from the crowd. Verse 33 tells us, and taking him aside from the crowd privately. This man had suffered enough. Jesus didn't want to make a spectacle of him, nor did Jesus want this to become a spectator event, as was often the case previously. We've seen that when he performs miracles, suddenly uh, a massive crowd uh, assembles. 
So he leads the man away from the crowd that has begun to form, uh, maybe to a side street or uh, some other secluded spot. One man describes it like this, the contrast with modern faith healers who intentionally assemble a crowd to watch them heal others is striking. It leads one to ask whether they want to be in the spotlight at the expense of the individual needs of the sufferer. Jesus, by, by stark contrast, makes this a completely private matter between himself and the man. Second, uh, it involves personal touch. Uh, it involves personal touch between Jesus and the man. Verse 33 will go on to say, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. That's, that's some pretty remarkable detail. And that's an indication that this is probably Peter recounting what he saw to Mark. And Mark is writing, Peter saw what took place. Um, but considering his other miracles before this, that he does these things might strike us as, as mysterious or just outright strange. Putting your finger in someone's ears uh, and touching his tongue, what was the point of these uh, additional actions that Jesus performs? Well, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson suggests that this was uh, uh, some form of sign language um, uh, from Jesus to tell the man what he was about to do. He can't read mouths. This is not Sue Thomas, FBI, we're talking about. Uh, he he uh, under, can understand so little. So Jesus puts his fingers in his ears to show him that his hearing will be affected. And then Jesus spits probably on his fingers and touches the man's tongue to demonstrate that his speech will also be affected. We, we, we know from last Sunday's miracle, uh, recall when the demon was cast out of the little girl, Jesus didn't need to touch, uh, Jesus didn't touch the girl, so Jesus really doesn't need to touch the man at all. And, and last week showed us that Jesus didn't even need to be present for the little girl to be healed. And so none of this is necessary. None, the touching is not what heals the man. But consider what a, what a gentle and considerate and condescending act this is on the part of Christ as if to calm and reassure this suffering man who'd, who'd been probably scooped up by his friends and hurried off without explanation he can't understand anything. Dragged off to meet Jesus. And Christ tells him through this sign language exactly what he's about to do. Secondly, his miracle involves personal touch. And then the third characteristic we see before us is that his miracle reveals the power he was depending on. This miracle reveals what power he was depending on. Look at verse 34. It begins, and looking up to heaven. Uh, this is the very same thing Jesus did before he fed the 5,000. He looked to heaven before he gave thanks. This would reveal to the man, I mean, he can see, actually, uh, the kind of power that Jesus was depending on. As Jesus looks to the heavens, 
in other words, looking to the Father, uh, the man would have seen what kind of power he was relying on. Ken Hughes calls this look a visible indication of Jesus' life of prayerful communion and dependence upon the Father. And so through this upward look, Jesus is showing the man whose power he is depending on for this miracle. The fourth characteristic we see is passion. Jesus demonstrates emotion as he performs this miracle. Again, verse 34 indicates this. Looking up to heaven, he sighed. This could also be he groaned. This is a uh, this word refers to a sigh or groan that comes from adverse and undesirable circumstances. And through this sigh, Jesus reveals his deep feeling for this man and the effects that living in a fallen world have had on him. And Jesus sees this man uh, suffering under these fallen conditions and is moved. He is uh, emotionally involved with this man, deeply moved by his condition. We see his passion for this poor man on display. And finally, his miracle is lastly persuasive. The power displayed here is convincing. Uh, Verse 34 goes on to say, He sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Uh, John is writing to a Gentile audience, uh, and so that's why he gives us this Aramaic word that Jesus would have spoken, Ephatha, a command, which means to be opened. Jesus is literally commanding this man's ears to begin functioning again. Or it could be better translated, open up. Um, and behold, they immediately begin to function. And at the same time, his tongue was released. Literally, his tongue was unbound. His tongue was set free. It was untied. It begins to speak clearly. This is a persuasive miracle. And, and as they rejoin the crowd and the friends who brought him, they become persuaded of his power, as we'll see in just a moment. And so secondly, we see uh, the miracle Christ performs. It's private, involves Christ's personal touch, reveals the power he is relying on, reveals his passionate involvement with this man's condition, and is finally a persuasive and convincing act, a, 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 a convincing miracle for those who are assembled. Well, uh, this leaves one more segment of our passage. We've seen uh, the man and the man from the Decapolis and We've seen his disability described, and we've seen the miracle that Christ performed, restoring his hearing. Finally, we get to the marveling from those present. 
this could be the friends who brought him. It might expend further into the crowd. It doesn't say specifically, but let's start at least with those who brought the man being affected. Uh, they marvel uh, at what they see. And I want to point out two things here. First of all, Mark describes the amazement they have for what they're seeing. Look at verse 36 with me. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, and I'm assuming this is likely the friends, but perhaps the crowd. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. <laughs> Jesus charges those who brought him. And think of the irony. He, he just frees a man's tongue and then tells him not to say anything. And he charges his friends, don't, don't breathe a word of this. He's, he's trying to limit his exposure. And more and more we see Jesus spending time privately with the twelve and, and less time with the crowd. Uh, and the crowd would prevent him from being alone with, this, with the twelve. So Jesus charges them not to, not to drum up business, so to speak, for him. Uh, not to breathe a word of this. He charges them to, to say nothing. But put yourself in their shoes. They brought their friend. I mean, their friend wouldn't have told them he wants to come. He can't. They brought their friend. Collectively, they got their heads together and say, hey, he needs to go to Christ. He needs to go to Jesus, the healer. He, this man could barely understand. They, they could barely understand his words. They bring him. And then when they get there, Jesus takes their friend off by himself and comes back a short time later. Their friend can hear. And their friend can speak. It's a miracle so sensational they can't keep their mouths shut. And this is even after Jesus had made a drawn-out appeal. He kept on charging them. But it says the more he charged them, this is Murphy's Law at its finest, I suppose. Reverse psychology, no, it's not reverse psychology. But the more Christ charged them, the more they kept on proclaiming it. This word means they were announcing it, uh, preaching it. It's, it's what a herald does. They're, they're walking around yelling it out, hey, everybody, hear this. Their friend's cure was so astounding that they were proclaiming it to an extreme degree. That's what the words mean. And verse 37 tells us why this understandable reaction comes from them. Look at 37. And they were astonished beyond measure. They're overwhelmed with amazement. They are utterly astounded, astonished to an extreme degree. This inexplicable healing of their friend is, is so completely jaw-dropping. I mean, what do you think? They see pe deaf people hearing all the time back then? No. It's completely jaw-dropping. In spite of Jesus' continual charge, 
They just can't keep their mouth shut. They are, they are astounded. In 1997, Reeve Lindbergh, the daughter of uh, the famous aviator Charles Lindbergh, was invited to give an address at the Smithsonian Institution's Air and Space Museum. It was to commemorate the 70th anniversary of her father's flight across the Atlantic Ocean from um, New York to Paris, I believe. Uh, yeah, New York to Paris. That was in 1927 His uh, to commemorate his solo flight. And so on the day of the speech... Uh, the museum officials invited Lindbergh's daughter to, to come early before the museum opened so that she could look, have a close-up look at the, the spirit of St. Louis, her father's airplane that's suspended from the ceiling of the Smithsonian. And uh, so the, the morning of her address, uh, she and her young son Ben climbed into the bucket of a cherry picker or a bucket truck as you might refer to it. And that's one of those crane-like things with a little basket on the end that lifts people to repair power lines and telephone lines. And this cherry picker lifts them up level with the plane. And um, she is at eye level and the plane was, is within reach and seeing close hand the machine that her father had so bravely flown across the sea was, was just unforgettable for her. And she had never touched the plane before, but that morning, 20 feet above the floor of the museum, she reached out to run her fingers along the door handle, which she knew her father must have grasped many times. And tears welled up in her eyes at the thought of what she was doing and she said to her son, Oh, Ben, isn't this amazing? And Ben says, Yeah, I've never been in a cherry picker before. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter from either one, Ben or Reeve Lindbergh, this is the kind of amazement, the just the, the intake of sharp intake of breath that the man's friends are making when when they see him come back with Jesus, speaking and hearing, and maybe in a hushed tone, similar to. Lindbergh's grandson, we hear from them the announcement. Look at their announcement as verse 37 continues. And, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, those might not strike you as particularly important words, but I assure you they are significant. And Mark and the Spirit of God include them for a very important reason. They're significant, especially coming from the lips of Gentiles. 
and the reason they're so important is because those two phrases, their announcement uh, echoes the Old Testament. The scholars believe that this first line, he has done all things well, is, is an echo of Genesis 1, 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. He has done all things well is a way that echoes this and a way of saying that Jesus has done things that only God could do. We can, we can suggest that maybe these were even God-fearing Gentiles. I don't know, and so I'm saying it's a suggestion. Maybe they were. And maybe they were also familiar with the account of Moses in the burning bush where the Lord says, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And so first of all, the friends of this man, maybe even the whole crowd by now, they announce that Jesus in healing their friend has done something only God can do. I mean, he, he healed a deaf man and caused him to speak. And then they go on to say, um, he makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. That's, that's a direct quote from our scripture reading in Isaiah 35, uh, uh, which says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. <coughs> the word mute in that very last line is actually the very same Greek term that Mark uses here uh, in our passage in, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, identical word. And the prophecy we read looks forward to the restoration of Israel in, uh, under the reign of, of God's Messiah, his anointed king. But again, I call you to think of who's saying these words. It's not Jews. It's Gentile lips that these words are coming from. And Mark is showing to you and me as well as his readers, <coughs> excuse me, that the restoration of God's people has begun. The things that Isaiah prophesied are happening. Uh, that the restoration of God's people has, has started with the arrival of Jesus, God's anointed king. And further, Mark is pointing out to us here that this restoration of God's people includes Gentiles. They're the one broadcasting this news. And this is, why, again, why it's so crucial. Jesus, all this happens in Gentile turf. God's kingdom is open to them as well. They, they can enter the kingdom of God just like everyone else by turning away from their sins and putting their faith in Jesus. Oh, they're convinced that he's the Messiah. And that's why they're saying these words, the restoration of God's people has started. We're included. This is their, their marveling. We've seen their amazement at this man's uh, healing and then we hear them announce the restoration of God's people has begun. 
Well, what the disciples needed and what you and I need is the ability to hear and speak. The ability to hear and understand spiritual truth and the ability to speak and share spiritual truth. We need our own spiritual version of a cochlear implant. Where does that ability come from? Where do we get the ability to hear and speak? It's like this man. Christ must open our ears to hear and open our mouths to speak. Christ must open our ears to hear and open our mouths to speak. He, he must open our ears in the same way he opened Lydia's ears in Acts 16. Uh, listen to Luke describe it. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord has to give us hearing ears, not just when we come to faith in Jesus, but uh, on an ongoing basis. The disciples reveal that to us. Uh, Jesus tells them in the upper room, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. But then in the next breath, we find Jesus saying, have you ears but can't hear? You and I stand in need of, of hearing, of our hearing quickened of our hearing reopened again and again. That's why I pray that every Sunday morning, so that you'll be given ears to hear. Listen to J.C. Ryle. He refers to the man in our account, and listen to his comment. Here we are meant to see our Lord's power to heal the spiritually deaf. He can give the chief of sinners a hearing ear. He can make him delight in listening to the very gospel which he once ridiculed and despised. Has God given you a hearing ear? Has he opened your ears to hear the truth? And has he opened you to delight in hearing his word? and how it reveals Christ and his glory and the power of God. Do you delight to hear those things? Christ must also loosen our tongues to speak. Otherwise, we'll be like the disciples who went in the upper room and said not a word. He must loosen our tongues the same way he gave Paul the ability to speak. Paul said in Ephesians, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, namely, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul said that, that had to be given to me. I needed grace to do that to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Can you think of a better thing to talk about? To proclaim? Do you think your neighbors know about the unsearchable riches of Christ? 
Do you think that they know that he willingly laid down his life on the cross to make a payment, an actual payment for sin? And that the father was satisfied with that payment and, and raised him from the dead. Oh, this is our commission too. That we, like Paul, preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. You don't have to go to, to Europe like Paul was sent. You can simply uh, talk to the guy who works next to you. Listen to J.C. Ryle again. Here also we are meant to see our Lord's power to heal the spiritually mute. He can teach the hardest of transgressors to call upon God. He can put a new song in the mouth of him whose talk was once only of this world. He can make the vilest of men speak of spiritual things and testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Has, has, has the Lord opened your mouth? Has he opened your mouth to speak? to testify to the unsearchable riches of Christ. Well, Ryle concludes with this. When Jesus pours out his spirit, nothing is impossible. We must never despair of others. We must never regard our own hearts as too bad to be changed. He that healed the deaf and dumb still lives. The cases which modern philosophy pronounce hopeless are not incurable if they are brought to Christ. So friend, take yourself to Jesus. Lord, help me to hear anew. I've, my hearing has gotten clogged with the world. I've grown stale. Unclog me, Lord, so I can hear afresh. Uh, or perhaps you've never heard anything to begin with and you need it open for the very first time, then ask him to give you hearing ears that you can hear the gospel. Ask him to give you a mouth to speak, a mouth to share the truth about Christ, a mouth to praise him. Let's pray. <clears throat> How grateful we are to see this, Lord. How grateful, Christ Jesus, we are to see this incredible miracle, far better than any YouTube video of a cochlear implant. It is not through the miracle of modern medicine. It is through the miracle of your sovereign power that you restore this man's hearing and you untie his tongue to speak. You untie the tongues of his friends to proclaim your glory. And amazement. Jesus, by your good spirit who lives in us, please work the same thing in us. Give us ears to hear, tongues to speak of the unsearchable riches of Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.